You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. All right, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. Welcome to the podcast. We're your hosts. <laughs> we're going for it already. No, we're not. <laughs> we're we'll in- introduce ourselves when we'll, it's important. Yeah. I mean, you should fucking know who we are by now. We're on episode 25. I was going to say, it's 900 episodes later. We have some new stickers. We do. Yes. So, so if you would like to boast about fighting a cryptid, but you actually wouldn't like to have to do the work, we have a shiny sticker for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, don't worry. I'll continue to fight the cryptids, and you can just... Take credit. Take credit. That's what I'm doing. Yep. It's cool. Mm-hmm. So, hit us up. Let us know. We will send you stickers if you want them. They're cute. They are real cute. Mm-hmm. I posted them on our Instagram. Yeah. So we're on episode 25. 25. This is week two of us celebrating Spooktober. Spooktober. It's a great time. So episode 25, I'm Brittany Matrino. I'm Martha Bartlett. And this is But But First, Let's Let's Talk Nerdy. Nerdy. Clank. (laughs) Big clonk because we have giant cans of Truly right now. So they wouldn't click. I guess they would crawl. It would be like fucking Big Ben. Bong, bong, bong. That's right, right? <laughs> I was like, I think this is the rock. <laughs> shout out to listener Fran. We know nothing about England. <laughs> and you are going to say shout out to listener Big Ben. <laughs> We're here for you, buddy. <laughs> shout out listener Big Ben. Is that the sound you make? Please let us know. <laughs> Please email us at. <laughs> <laughs> so episode 25, Spooky mm-hmm. Nonsense, number dos. All right. I was a little worried. I was like, this could be one of those topics that you could possibly do too. Oh, no. I feel like there's a few, this whole month is going to yeah. be that kind of worry for yeah. the both of us. Absolutely. Yeah. So today I am going to talk about. The Twilight Zone. Oh, shit! Yeah! Yeah! Awesome. I am not talking about that today. So, so far, okay. so good. 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 <laughs> I'm fucking hyped. All right. I really feel like Goosebumps is, it's like the shitty kids version yeah, of Twilight Zone. Of Twilight Zone. Zone. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's like the shitty zipper that kids have. Yes. You know exactly what I'm talking I about. Do. That just goes like this really doesn't, and it doesn't go upside down. No. Mm-hmm. It just, it's, you're in a cage like you are on the zipper, but it just goes really slow like this because yeah. it's the kid zipper. Instead of the zipper is so much zipper. fun. I'm not a zipper person. I'm probably not a zipper person anymore because now I'm 30, not eight, mm-hmm. not 16. Mm-hmm. So at about, I would say probably, let's say 15, I went on the zipper. And I had my purse on with me, like, behind me, and it, stuff came out and hit me in the face. And, <laughs> and also, I was like, I'm immediately car sick. So. Yeah. Yeah. So. Why would you think otherwise? Because I didn't used to be like this. Oh. Mm-hmm. That is a 25 and after. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Father. I know this is your fault. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to talk about the Twilight Zone. Um, <laughs> exactly. Wikipedia, obviously, source fandom was a main source. And then I looked up uh, multiple different lists. Just for like top episodes, oh, and God. I got I, so many good. Yes, I know. So I I compared notes between three different lists. Um, one was on Cinema Blend, another was on Rolling Stone, and another was on Vulture dot com. You always knew when the really good ones were because when they played them during the uh, New Year's Eve yes. or the July Fourth thing, it would be at like ten o'clock. That's when they would start playing the really really good, good ones, ones, the ones that you're going to be actually afraid of. Yep. I'm like, yes, I'm here for this. All right. So Twilight Zone, if you don't know, because you've been living under a rock. For a thousand If you've been years. living under a rock, now is not the time to come out of said rock. Yeah, so stay there. there. Do you um, have more room under that rock? <laughs> is there a passage to Denmark under there? <laughs> and is it easy? Because I really don't want to work hard. <laughs> so Twilight Zone is an American television series created by Rod Serling. The I have a big crush on Rod Serling. Do you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's everlasting. He's charming. He's super yeah, charming. He's very charming. And spooky. Yeah. Uh, the episodes are various in genres, including fantasy, science fiction, absurdism, dystopian fiction, suspense, horror, supernatural drama, dark comedy, and psychological thrillers, often concluding with the macabre or an unexpected twist, and usually with a moral. A good twist. Yeah, stupid twist. Yes, exactly. Not a you're randomly a B twist. Goosebumps. It, it was popular and critically successful, and and it introduced many Americans to common science fiction and fantasy tropes. The first series, shot um, entirely in black and white, ran on CBS for five seasons from 1959 to 1964. The Twilight Zone followed in the tradition of earlier television shows such as Tales of Tomorrow, which was from 1951 to 1953, and Science Fiction Theater in 1955 to 1957. There was also radio programs such as The Weird Circle, Dimension X, and X-1, and the radio work of one of Serling's inspirations was Norman Corwin. Uh, the success of the series did lead to a feature film in 1983, a TV film in 1994, and a radio series in 2002, all the way to 2012. Oh. Uh, various literatures, theme park attractions, and various other spinoffs that spanned five decades, including three revival television shows. The second series was from 1985 to 1989, also running on CBS. That and was the one where they shot it on the weird, like, soap opera TV. Was it? I I think so. I don't think I've seen any of the newer series. It's bad. But I don't know if it's bad because I literally can't look away from the fact that everything is in weird soap opera camera. <laughs> like, it, it fucked me up super bad. And then the third series ran on UPN from 2002 to 2003. Just kidding. That's the one. That was the one. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch the 80s one. In December 2017, CBS All Access officially ordered the fourth Twilight Zone series, helmed by Jordan Peele, mm-hmm. and the series premiered in April 2019. I don't know if it's still going. If it was, something tells me COVID fucked it all up, hey. because that was only over a year ago. 
So TV Guide ranked the original TV series in the top five in their 2013 list and on the greatest, uh, 60 greatest shows of all time and fourth in their list of the 60 greatest dramas. Fair. So what makes The Twilight Zone so great? It was one of the first of, a, of its kind. It did pull, obviously, from some other things, but it was one of the only shows like it of its time. It was spooky, it was full of twists and turns, and the most important thing, it called people out on their shit. Yeah. Most episodes ended in learning, in a morbid way, some kind of moral or truth about humanity. <laughs> we suck. <laughs> we suck is usually the, the fucking lesson. Unfortunately, we haven't learned much as a group. Everyone needs to go watch some more Twilight Zone. It is on Netflix, and a lot of the things that they brought up are still fucking problems of our society today. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yes. Um, <laughs> great, right? So seasons one through one through three, and then season five, I believe, I think they're missing season four. Um, but they're kind of out of order, so which it doesn't matter because all of them are standalone. But if you're like trying to go like, I want to watch this episode, it's this season, and this is probably not on Netflix because it's all that was me the past couple of days trying to watch specific episodes, and then I was like, I give up, just go. This is too hard. And there's also a long list of great actors that you can find throughout all five seasons, which is another thing that is really known about the show that makes it awesome. Mm -hmm. So if you're just looking for some of the best ones to watch, I'm going to tell you, I am going to be spoiling the episodes though. So if you haven't seen them, um, just listen to the name and go and watch them. They are the ones that I pulled basically from all the lists. They were the ones that were mentioned and the ones that have made the most impact on me as a kid slash teen when I was watching them, the ones that I can mostly vividly remember in my brain. Yes. A few of the episodes have the best lessons and or twists are just that memorable that you won't forget them. Fuck you forever. All right. So this was one that I actually kind of forgot. And then when I watched it the other day, I was like, God, this one. I this one. Yeah. So the first one I'm going to talk about is called The Masks. Yes. It's supposed to be season mm-hmm. five, episode 25. Yeah, they basically do The Masks in Goosebumps. Do they? Because Goosebumps is just a bunch of yeah. Twilight Zone stories retold. For children. I was going to say, but poorly. Oh. But yes. But usually when you're telling things for children, it's poorly. That's true. The Zipper. Yep. We'll go back to the zipper. A shitty child zipper. It's just children in cages that are going around in a circle. You put a child in a dog cage, and then we put them around on a... It goes like this, actually. I was thinking the one at the airport. Oh. That's not what it is, obviously, but I think that's much funnier. (laughs) A luggage carousel? That's it. None of my episodes are children-related episodes. That's good. Because fuck that shit. There's like one or two that stick out in my brain. (laughs) There was a couple I had to skip. There was a doll episode. Past that one. The doll episode is really good. It's... uh, I couldn't. I couldn't. I'm talking Tina, and I think I don't like you very much. I got to about that point, and I was Mm -hmm. like, and we're skipping this episode. There's that. There's a... uh, There's definitely a ventriloquist on me, because... Yes, oh, there is that. Yep, skipped that episode because mm-hmm. I can't handle that either. Fuck that shit. Alright, The Masks, like I said, season 5, episode 25. So one of the uh, last episodes. 
This episode starts out a little slow, but full of passive-aggressive bitchiness that even Panda would envy. True. Call out to listener Panda. Um, He's a passive-aggressive queen. And and just a regular aggressive queen. Yes, both. Love you. Heart. So a dying head of the family has assembled his family so that he can say, so that they all can say their goodbyes. Shockingly, the bastards are more interested in divvying up his wealth. Think full-blown, knives-out greed, but none of them are as pretty as Chris Evans. (laughs) The fact that you write your Chris Evans bits in now is so good. I really love it. And I should do it with more bastards. But... And the difference is Norman Osborn's hair isn't always on your brain, and Chris Evans is always on my brain. I try not to think about <laughs> new things about Norman Osborn's hair. Yeah, any Norman Osborn is too much. All right, so now uh, before he goes gently into the night, the man has one stipulation in order to leave his fucking greedy family all of his money. Did you write gently into the night? Nope, that was. <laughs> phrase no. ever before. No. 100% not. <laughs> the confusion on my face. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes. So, his greedy ass family must spend the evening wearing grotesque masks until the clock strikes midnight. So P.S. Scary. It's Mardi Gras. Just so they're like, why? So why? Yeah, so masks. there's a reason to be wearing the masks. It's not just him being hey, like, just being a dad. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> This is why I can't have kids. <laughs> so each one gets a mask that represents the greed, shallowness they possess. But as he's handing them out, he's saying it's under the ruse that the mask represents the exact opposite of what they are. Though I don't believe the grandfather is fooling anyone. They put them on because they want his money and he probably won't make it through the night. Like he's not doing like, good. You probably only have to wear these for like three yeah. hours. As sweaty masks, too, though. Yeah, they were really gross. So as the uh, clock strikes midnight, they pull off their masks after having almost a meltdown. It was like 11.55, and they're like, (gasps) (laughs) Yeah, basically. And uh, it's revealed that their faces have morphed into the ugly mask. So now their insides match their outsides. Big grandfather essentially says, fuck you, and then dies. That's how I want to die. <laughs> so as the cops examine the dead body, the family now matching what's on the outside with the inside are hiding behind a closed door in another room. And the episode closes out with the narrative, a Mardi Gras incident, the dramatist persona being four people who come to celebrate and incense let themselves go. This they did with a vengeance. They now wear the faces of all that was inside them, and they will wear them for the rest of their lives. Said lives now to be spent in shadow in tonight's tale of men, the macabre, and the masks on the Twilight Zone. I also think Rod Serling's voice is really hot. Yeah, sorry. You should go watch these, because I am not going to do these cool things any kind of fucking... Yeah, see, yeah. you can't, I can't do, do it either. Time. I don't have that sort of gravitas. Are you yeah. kidding me? No, absolutely not. And I'm sure he said these things about 800 times before he had to read them because who the fuck says these words in sentences like this? Rod Sterling. <laughs> so that was that one. Uh, next one we're talking about Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Of yes. course. 
Yeah. You don't think about this every time you fly. You haven't seen it. Yeah, literally. Yeah. This is this is probably the like main. Like, there's a few. There's like three main ones, but this is definitely one of the mm-hmm. th- like. This main is also ones, I think, uh, of. William Shatner at his hottest. Yes. So, season five, episode three. William Shatner is the main character in this episode. He plays Bob Wilson, a salesman on an airplane for the first time since he had a nervous breakdown six months ago. I feel you. <laughs> so. <laughs> Sorry, that laugh came out so condescending. I didn't mean that. <laughs> no, I took it as a, I get that too. It, laugh. That's how it was supposed to be. I'm glad that you heard I it. understand your different. I just different. want our, listen to, our listeners to know that I'm not as much of a fucking bitch as I come off as. You're doing great. I'm great. You're doing I'm great. Doing, you're doing so great. So great. You're doing great. You're doing great. <laughs> All right. Maybe don't compliment people with your voice. Maybe just send them nice texts. Because that will work well. It's just an emoji that says, you're great. Uh, it would still probably come off as sarcastic. Oh, shit. Okay, so he is sitting on the airplane. I think his wife is asleep and he's bored. So he opens the window and he looks out. And he's astonished to see a gremlin-like creature, which is really just a bro and a really bad gorilla-like <laughs> on the wing of the plane. And just sort of kind of slowly crouching towards the window. Yes. So, do you think it would be more scary to see an actual gremlin or a bro in a gorilla suit that is not very good? Which do you think would be more scary to see? I think the gorilla suit like a bad costume where you're like this person didn't even try and also they're outside on a plane what's happening i would say that would be much more i'm having another nervous breakdown that's that's all i've got for you oh true facts right there yeah fuck I copied and pasted this, <laughs> mostly, and they, since his character's name is Bob Wilson, they just keep calling him Wilson, but now I'm just going to think of Wilson. Sam. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or we can go to Castaway and Tom Hanks. <laughs> I was thinking, fucking Dennis There's too many Wilsons. People. Everyone. Think of a different name. There are like a lot of last names out there. Think of something different. Jesus. <laughs> that was perfect. Everything that just happened was just perfect. Ugh, a nightmare of too many references. <laughs> Shit. Shit. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> so. <sighs> Wilson. Whatever Wilson you want it to be right now. Bobby Wilson. Ugh. Bob Wilson. He closes his window curtain. and But, I mean, Gorilla Bro on the wing. So he opens it again. And when he reopens, he's shocked <laughs> to find that it says Gremlin. But I'm just going to keep calling Gorilla Bro. Gorilla Bro is, his face is like pressed up against the window. <laughs> yeah. But since oh. I'm assuming it's plastic, it isn't like squished against the yeah. window. Because he's just, he's just, like, he's right just like right there. Ready yeah. to fuck with you. Yes. You're like, oh no. <laughs> oh fucking no. Don't look at me. <laughs> I was looking at you and I tried to pretend you were not existing. And then you didn't let me. 
And now I have to do a thing. About <laughs> now this. I have to fucking figure it now out. I have to pretend I'm going to save us instead of just letting everyone die, which is what I would do. <laughs> like I'm having a nervous, a breakdown, nervous breakdown. So I guess hopefully people won't die, and I won't be wrong. <laughs> but I'm going to be like, hey, somebody get me a fucking Xanax, <laughs> basically. And they were like giving out Xanax exactly. back then. They were like, would you like three and also <laughs> a pillow? <laughs> and here's an alcoholic beverage with uh-huh. it. <laughs> And here you can chain smoke. So I could have been smoking weed too. <laughs> Literally. It's like, how many doubters can you do? <laughs> I'm like actually dead in my <laughs> Like, she can't move because she's turned into like actual mush pudding. She's turned into actual just downer. <laughs> just mashed potatoes as a person. <laughs> it's like the weed commercials where they're like, <laughs> That's only when you have brownies, guys. (laughs) Or an alcoholic beverage, three Xanax, and chain smoking of cigarettes, and fucking (laughs) all those fucking commercials. Wasn't there ones where it was like, she was supposed to be babysitting Jimmy, but Jimmy drowned in the pool because she was too busy smoking weed. I think there was those too. Like, I don't know if you have, understand how do you know works how with weed anxiety. Works? But also, do you know how weed works in general? No, no, and no. <laughs> that was back in the day when they thought weed was bad, <laughs> and now they're like, weed is actually really beneficial. Now they're like, we need your money, so. and we really need your money, so we're going to tax it. Okay, so he notifies the stewardess, and when she comes to look. <laughs> The gorilla bro vanishes. He puts the window. What is she gonna do? I don't know. What is anybody gonna do, I guess? Land the plane? That would make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Yeah, that would be maybe the best solution there. Oh, shit. He's like, okay, I'm just going crazy. So he like closes his window shade and then he's. Still curious because how can you not be? And he, yeah, and he looks outside again, and he's horrified when he sees the gorilla bro, and he's tampering with one of the engines in the wing. Anytime I look out the window and I can see any pieces on the inside, I'm like, or when the little like wing part lifts up so that you can fly out, sit by the window. It also makes me nauseous. It's weird that you get nauseous over everything. Except that, and I can't, it's not, it's not while flying, it's just, well, if I look out the window while I, while it's going up or going down, I get nauseous, <laughs> which you just get nauseous anyways from yeah. that, but like, it's specific, usually, unless it's really bumpy, it's specifically if I'm looking out the window during takeoff or set down, I will get nauseous. So funny and weird. Yeah. yeah. My brain is a piece of shit. Yeah. My brain is a small... Slug I miss that possible nausea, though. Please put me on an airplane and let me fly, please. Yeah, that's, I'm not complaining about that <laughs> nausea, because I would like to go home and, like, I don't know. See my friends and family? Yeah, that. That's the one. <laughs> I got you. Oh, yes. Right. The thing. The one thing I want to go home and do so bad. Bad. <laughs> bad. Thank you for being very Boston there. <laughs> Just slamming our point home. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he then tries to like 
his wife to look and call the stewardess back over. But every single time someone else looks out the window, the gorilla bro immediately jumps out of view. And no one believes him. So Bob realizes his wife and everybody else is starting to think that he needs to go back to the sanitarium. Uh. Crazy place. But he fully believes it real. it's real, and if nothing is done about the gremlin, it's going to seriously damage the plane's engine, and it will crash. So Bob ends up stealing a, policeman, a sleeping policeman's revolver, opens the window, that's like emergency window, mm-hmm. and instead of the plane just crashing there, because yeah. that's what would happen if you just ripped the fucking window open during the flight. He is sucked halfway out the window and he catches the gremlin's attention attention and the monkey bro starts charging at him, but he shoots him fatally. So once the plane lands, Bob is taken away in a straitjacket with a final shot revealing evidence of his claims, the unusual damage to the plane's engine yet to be discovered by the mechanics. With the discovery, the episode ends with the closing narrative. The flight of Mr. Robert Wilson has ended now. A flight not only from point A to point B, but also from the fear of reoccurring mental breakdown. Mr. Wilson has that fear no longer, though. For the moment, he is, as he said, alone in this assurance. Happily, This conviction will not remain isolated too much longer, for happily, tangible manifestation is very often left as evidence of trespass, even from such an intangible quarter as the Twilight Zone. So we don't learn anything really about that, like, humanity there, but it was just, like, creepy. Like, you think he's just having another breakdown, and then... It was some bro in a gorilla suit ripping the plane apart at 20,000 feet. Fuck. Literally, now I'm going to have, like, <laughs> awkward nightmares about an actual, like, human, or at least human-shaped person in a bad gorilla suit, or, like, a Chewbacca suit, or something like that. So ripping a up. pickle. <laughs> it's, like, just enough that they're completely covered, but still enough that you know it's a shitty costume. Yep. A stormtrooper. <laughs> like, oh, nerd, go home. It's just gonna be. It's just gonna be Superman or Batman now, <laughs> with like the plastic mask. <laughs> no, I love you. My parents are dead. <laughs> All right, the next one is. I think this one's probably my second favorite. We have not discussed your favorite yet. No, we have not. Cool. Time enough. At last. Ah! And I think this is another one that a bunch of people remember. Yes. Season one, episode eight. This (laughs) is one of those episodes that I will always remember, maybe because it's the first example of irony I encountered when I was young, but it was also spoofed on Family Guy and a million other things, Mm -hmm. so... Uh, I feel like um, they definitely did one for Futurama, too. Probably. (laughs) This one is about bank teller Henry Bemis, or Bemis. Or, I don't know, B-E-M-I-S? Henry. Henry. Henry B. Good old Henry B. Um, Who loves to read, but neither his wife nor his boss ever really give him a chance. He's that typical uh, geek-looking guy who just ends up sneaking into the vault uh, because he works at a bank. 
on his lunch hour so that he can read. One of these times, he actually ends up getting knocked unconscious by a giant shockwave. When he comes to, he discovers that the Earth and all of the lives have been destroyed by a nuclear war and that he, having been protected by the vault, is the last man on Earth. Because apparently, at this exact time... It was either a ball or vault, or for some reason, of all the banks in the world, there was no other people in a bank vault yeah. at this time. Yeah, and you would think, well, I guess if he did come out of the vault and be like, oh, no, I can't find any people, you don't have, like, the internet, and you can't just randomly it's call true. people. This is, There's no way you would find mm, it. It's else. true. This is 1959. He ends up searching and searching for hours, days, weeks. Who really fucking knows? He doesn't because he also learns that time has no meaning when everything is dead. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But he finds nothing and he finds no one. So feeling all hope is lost, he decides he's going to commit suicide. But at his final moments, his eyes fall on ruins of a library. For him, this is paradise. Gleefully, he piles books high, organizing his reading for years to come. But as he settles down to read the first book, his glasses slip off his nose and smash, trapping him forever in a hopelessly blurry world. Or just go to a store and find the glasses. That makes it better. But it's fine. His glasses were... They were really big. You're right. But who the fuck knows back then? I know. Actually. Really? Yeah, because I work with... I've worked with glass glasses. So even the ones that you would... Could you buy them like you could buy them now? Yes. They weren't even so... It's it's a very similar... Like, if you had a very thick prescription and you decided to buy glass lenses... And the prescription that he had was a big, like, it made his eyes look huge, yeah. right? So it's a high plus. This is dumb nerd shit that's not necessary. But, uh, so when I worked in Natick, I made a pair of plus fives, which most of the time you, like, like at Warby, we only went up to plus six at all. And the plus fives that we made out of glass in Natick were so fucking thick and heavy that if you had hit somebody with them, they would have bruised themselves. But I feel That's like when I go, I mean, I know it's not plus five, because mm-hmm. I'm sure it's it, but like, I feel like there's at least plus three. You could get something like that. At, that would at least make it. That said, that's nowadays you could find. You're right. I don't that know what they had back then. At a like CVS yeah. or something like that. I was but like, I, I can go to the dollar store and get like a plus. I say, I don't know. Well, I put on a plus three and I'm like, I can't see anything. <laughs> I immediately want to throw up. Yes. Yep. Okay, so Henry despairs, remarking really dramatically, which is might be another reason why I remember this. <laughs> That's not fair. That's not fair at all. There was a time now. There was all the time I wanted. That's not fair. And he burst into tears, surrounded by all the books he'll never be able to read. So, and it was probably this? just as dramatic as I said. Am I drawing it. you as this? <laughs> Because I think that's it. <laughs> that's really good. No. Right? And I good. didn't rewatch this episode, mm-hmm. so that's from my brain, that's and I can hear part. it perfectly 100%. in my brain. And that, your tone was like right <laughs> no, on point. I'm mad about it a little. <laughs> All right. 
as it fades away from him, we are given our closing narrative. The best laid plans of mice and men in Henry Bemis, the small man in the glasses who wanted nothing but time. Henry Bemis, now just a part of a smashed landscape, just a piece of rubble, just a fragment of what man has deeded to himself. Henry Bemis in the Twilight Zone. Nice. Okay, next one, Nick of Time, Season 2, Episode 7. You're going to remember this one as soon as I tell you. Yeah. This is the first episode of the two that William Shatner is in. Oh! Yeah. So, newlywed Don and Pat Carter, their automobile breaks down in uh, Ridgeview, Ohio. They decide to have lunch at Busy Bee Cafe while they wait. The booth they sit in uh, has a fortune-telling machine on the table that answers yes or no questions for each penny. Back in the day when a penny meant something. Back in the day when a penny was anything except for actual trash. It costs more to make a penny than a penny is worth. Take a penny, give a penny. Don't actually do anything with pennies. Pennies are useless. Now that Martha and I have clear hate towards pennies. I don't know if you have any feelings about pennies, but we do. Because I didn't know that either. Sometimes somebody says something and I feel visceral hatred for no reason. So... Alright, so <laughs> learning stuff. Don <laughs> asked the same. It could be I really love pennies and I like you come home. I one like day. smush pennies. That's true. We have a whole I section. like destroying pennies and making them prettier because they're awful. That's true. <laughs> okay, so um Don asks the mystic seer if he's going to get a promotion at work. The card says that it has been decided in his favor. When Doc calls the office, he discovers that the seer was right. Because of this initial success, Don asks the seer more and more questions. Um, Pat begins to recognize that Don is talking to the seer too seriously. And uh, based on the seer's predictions, Don believes it's unsafe to leave the diner until 3 p.m., Pat, though, convinces him to leave a few minutes before three, but uh, the couple ends up almost being struck by a car while crossing the street. And a clock nearby shows that it's 3 p.m. After they calm down, Don wants to go back to the cafe for more answers. However, there's two women sitting in the booth, so Don and Pat wait at the front counter. And Pat wants proof that the seer is illegitimate, pointing out that uh, it was Don who had brought up the matter of it precisely being 3 p.m. So... One of the things he wants to know is whether the car will be fixed by the end of the day. The seer answers in an affirmative, and as if on cue, the mechanic steps into the diner and tells Don that his car is fixed. The breaking point comes when Don wants the seer to tell him where they are going to live and asks the seer every conceivable yes or no question to arrive at that information. Pat tries to break the spell like, of the uh, seer. Are we getting a divorce? Yes or no? <laughs> so Pat tries to break the spell of the seer over Don. After a persuasive speech from Pat, Don apologizes. They kiss and make up and then announce directly to the mystic seer that they're leaving and they're going to do as they please. After their cautious but eventful exit to their car and out of town, a slightly older couple enters the diner. 
So the couple is noticeably distraught and approaches the same mystic seer. The man first asks the seer if they can ask more questions. After receiving an apparently affirmative answer, the man asks a series of questions, including, do you think we might leave Ridgeview today? The couple is obviously deflated by the answer of this question and others, and unlike the now-free Don and Pat, they seem to be remaining trapped in their addiction to the Sears Council. So as we fade from the older trapped couple, it brings us to the ending narrative, which is counterbalance in the little town of Ridgeview, Ohio. Two people permanently enslaved by the tyranny of fear and superstition, facing the future with a kind of helpless dread. Two others facing the future with confidence, having escaped one of the darker places of the Twilight Zone. So, hey, believe in yourself a little bit. Believe in yourself! (laughs) (laughs) But also imagine you're like, can I ask you another question? She's like, no. (laughs) Go home. Go home. I'm bored of you today. Yeah. I've asked, I've answered enough questions today. <laughs> so this is another episode that is, that sticks in my brain. This is probably one of the top three. Next one, The Midnight Sun. Is this your favorite? No. You'll tell me when it's your yes. favorite. I should just not ask. <laughs> but I like this one. This is definitely in the top of what I remember watching. It's season three, episode 10. The Earth has begun moving away from its usual orbit and is gradually falling (laughs) uh, in its rotation towards the sun. A artist, Norma, and her landlady, Miss Bronson, are the last people in their apartment building. Everyone else has either moved north where it's cooler or perished from the extremely high temperatures. Norma and Miss Bronson are trying to keep each other company as they see life as they know it slowly drain away. They watch in terror as their water supply is turned on for merely only an hour a day and their electricity is being greatly conserved. Food and water are growing to be extremely scarce. As mentioned by a radio reporter, all citizens are to remain indoors and uh, be prepared for a looter rampage. The radio reporter also states that you can cook eggs on your sidewalk and cook soup in the ocean. Remember when it, there was a summer, like two summers ago, that was so hot that there was someone, I think it was on our friends, uh, like I think I'm pretty sure he was on my friends list and then like it went viral. He baked cookies in his car. Yep. I remember. Yeah. Also, what a good idea, because your car would always smell like cookies. So for you to be hungry all the time. We could 100% do that almost every single day here, because we can't even touch our fucking steering wheels half the time. Mm -hmm. We had to buy windshield covers. Mm -hmm. We never, that was never a thing in Massachusetts. It's not a real thing in Massachusetts. (laughs) Okay, anyways. So the two women hear footsteps outside their apartment about halfway through the episode. Norma asks her landlady if she locked the doors to the apartment complex. Miss Bronson is uncertain if she did. They hear a knock on the door and Miss Bronson starts to answer it. But Norma, clearly being a fucking murderino and a true crime junkie, screams for her not to open the door under any circumstances. Norma threatens the mysterious man with the gun, but he breaks his way into the apartment anyways and drinks their supply of water nonetheless. Why she didn't shoot him? I was going to say, you should have immediately shot him and yeah. then drink his blood. Th- what? No one said that. <laughs> I think he got the gun away from them. 
Um, after several moments, he begs for their forgiveness and claims that he's an honest man and would never hurt them and that he was driven to looting due to the heat. He goes on to describe the recent deaths of his wife due to the complication of childbirth as well as the death of their newborn daughter. Also, a lot of murderers are like, I'm not going to hurt you. And then they fucking rape you and murder you. Mm-hmm. Also, way and way about your fucking life. But you know who else's life sucks? Literally everyone. You're not special. You're not special. Ugh. So, they befriend him anyways because... Poor choice. Poor choices. And feeling that her latest painting might cheer her new friend up, Norma dis- uh, displays a beautiful oil of a waterfall cascading over a lush pond. Maybe <laughs> he eats the painting. <laughs> Miss Bronson... Unable to cope with the literally unbearable conditions of the raging sun, that's quote, mm-hmm. deliriously claims that she can feel the coolness and delightfully splashes the imaginary water before her, before she collapses on the floor and dies. It goes to a shot of the thermometer that surges past 120 degrees Fahrenheit, eventually shatters. As her oil paintings start to melt, and yeah. Norma screams and turns to ash. What? Oh, okay. The scene, the next scene, cuts to an apartment at night. It is inconceivably frigid. Darkness outside. <laughs> Sorry, this is so not a word I would ever type. Inconceivably frigid. Inconceivable. So, anyways, the scene cuts to an apartment at night that is inconceivably frigid darkness outside. The weather is anything but hot. The same thermometer reads negative 10 degrees Fahrenheit, which isn't that cold. And we've all been there. It's cold, but we've all been there. (laughs) And there is a blizzard outside. Just wear something cozy. Yeah, Yeah. seriously. Level with your friends. Fucking turn on your fireplace. Norma is bedridden (laughs) with a high fever and is accompanied by Miss Bronson and a doctor. She was only dreaming that Earth was moving closer to the sun. In reality, the Earth is moving away from the sun and will eventually freeze over. Norma tells Miss Bronson about her nightmare, adding, Isn't it wonderful to have darkness and coolness? Miss Bronson replies with a sense of dread in her voice, Yes, dear, it's wonderful. This has an ending narrative, but it's unimportant. Um, what's important is how the episode was basically ahead of its time. And is gently poking at the issue of global warming that we now have in the present day. All right. So this is my favorite. This episode. is the one. This is the one. Why it sticks out in my brain so much. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. We'll find out. So, <laughs> oh, no, uh, is this something that says a thing about This you? might say a thing about me. Oh, so, well. uh, I of the Beholder, Season 2, Episode 6. This is another one of those that always stuck with me. Probably my favorite episode ever since I saw it when I was younger. I never really thought about why, but I think I'm learning more about myself as a person. And this podcast keeps opening my eyes up. It's life therapy, but it's free and shitty. And there are no, <laughs> there's no licenses or help on how to fix the oh, shittiness. No. That's not how Just this Just laughing at me. Well, that's sort of like help. Pay me to laugh at your problems. I'm pretty sure we've talked about this episode before, so you'll know it as soon as I start talking about it. It's not coming to me, but I'm sure it will. Because every other one that I was like, I don't know, though. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, Janet Taylor, 
has uh, undergone her 11th treatment. Yep. Never mind. I know. The maximum number <laughs> legally allowed an attempt to look like everybody else. The details of the treatment are not given, but uh, Janet is first shown with a head completely bandaged so that her face cannot be seen. She described as being not normal by the nurses and doctor who, uh, whose own faces are always shown in shadows or off camera. The outcome of the procedure cannot be known until the bandages are removed. So Janet ends up pleading with the doctor, who eventually convinces him to remove the bandages early. They remove the bandages, and by the reactions of the doctors and nurses, which is horror and disappointment, you can tell that the procedure is a failure. And her face has undergone no change, no change at all. That was a quote. I know you guys couldn't see my quotations. It was happening, though. But it happened. I was here. So, at this point, the camera pulls back to reveal that she's actually beautiful, and she is quite beautiful. At this point, the doctor, nurses, and other people in the hospital are revealed to be horribly deformed from our perspective, with large, thick brows, sunken eyes, swollen, twisted lips, and a wrinkled pinky nose. (laughs) Distraught by failure. The real reason you love this episode. (laughs) Distraught by the failure of the procedure. She ends up running uh, through the hospital as the faces, as she faces everyone she runs into. The norm in the society, and this is where you realize the norm of the society is this deformed to us face. Flat screen televisions are throughout the hospital projecting an image of the state's despotic leader giving a speech calling for greater conformity and eventually a very handsome man. He is oh yeah, he real hot. No, I distinctly remember yeah. being like, oh, oh, yeah. He was he's like, real oh, hot. You adapt. And I'm like, please. <laughs> Twist my arm, I guess. <laughs> he's real. So this real hot man who is also dashing because it's 19 fucking 60. Um, That's how they do it. Who is also afflicted with the same condition. I'm so handsome. <laughs> Who's he, Zach Brannigan? (laughs) Oh, no. Arrives uh, to take the poor Janet to exile in a village of her own kind, where her ugliness will not trouble the state. Before the two leave, the man comforts Taylor, saying, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Um, And with that, the episode comes to an end with our narrator saying, now the question comes to mind, where is this place and when is it? What kind of world where ugliness is the norm and beauty is the deviation from the norm? You want an answer? The answer is it doesn't make any difference because the old saying happens to be true. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder in this year or a hundred years hence On this planet, or wherever there is human life, perhaps out amongst the stars, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Lesson to be learned in the Twilight Zone. So, this could be where my love of pigs come from, or (laughs) maybe even my shallowness may have come from this episode. shallowness and love from pigs. Who knows? We're not going to look too deep, though, because I'm still fucking trying to cope with the fact that I'm Fred and Daphne. Yeah, that's fair. I don't mind being Daphne. 
I don't want to be Fred. One more. One more. I'm fine with that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Are you enjoying going down Twilight Zone every lane? Oh my god, absolutely. Alright, so the last one I'm going to talk about today is the very first episode of the Twilight Zone. Where is everybody? Season 1, episode 2. Oh shit! Of course that's the first one. A man finds himself alone walking towards a diner. Inside, he finds a jukebox playing loudly. Coffee is hot on the stove. Back when they had to keep coffee pots on a stove. (laughs) But there's no one there. He inquires for some breakfast, but there's no chef, no waitress to be found. He's just in an Air Force flight suit, but he does not remember who he is or how he got there. After leaving the diner, he walks to a nearby town. The town seems deserted, but... Everywhere the man goes, he seems to find proof that someone had been there recently. Food is cooking on a stove, water dripping in a sink, a cigar is burning on an ashtray. He grows more and more unsettled as he wanders through the empty town looking for someone, anyone. All the while having strange feeling that he's being watched. In a soda shop, after talking to himself, he idly spins racks filled with paperback books until he comes across an already spinning rack filled from top to bottom with the same book, The Last Man on Earth, Feb 1959, which is when this came out. Mm -hmm. He collapses next to a street crossing and presses a button labeled walk. It is revealed that the walk button is a panic button. The man is really a tra- is a training astronaut named Mike Ferris, confined to an isolation room located within an aircraft hangar for 484 hours and 36 minutes, testing to see if he can stay sane, coped up in a small spacecraft for the duration of a trip to the moon, because apparently they think it's going to take 484 hours. I don't think it takes that long to get to the moon, but the town was a, a complete hallucination, an escape valve from his sensory depraved mind. As Ferris is carried out from the hangar on a stretcher, he sees the moon above him and says wistfully, hey, don't go away up there. Next time, it won't be just a dream or a nightmare. Next time, it'll be for real. So don't go away. We'll be up there in a little while. That's how it ends. The fact that this guy went crazy after 20 days also, what the is fuck? also very not realistic. Did they not give him any books, though? Did they not give him anything? Did they just make him sit in a room that had no win- that had nothing? I mean, I hope... 20 days isn't that long. No. Like, I get it. It's long. 20 days by yourself doing nothing would be obviously awful. But to go crazy and hallucinate like that... I don't think so. I don't think my brain is smart enough to make an entire world after 20 fucking days. I feel like... I think it's going to need at least another week. Anyways. Sorry, we're now ripping apart the first episode of the series that I call Great. I love it very, very much. But Um, also, like, this person should have been less of a bitch. (laughs) Clearly, you're not cut out to be a fucking astronaut. We have a problem with the episode. We have a problem with the astronaut. (laughs) It's true. Maybe this is not your dream job. I know you did really great at space camp, but, uh... You don't puke when you spin really fast, but apparently... Some people just don't do that. Your brain doesn't work right. Mine either, so it's fine. (laughs) It lasts better than 20 days, though. That's fucking true. (laughs) Alright, so, this is the episode that started all. It has that unforeseen twist, where you really didn't expect that coming. And from that moment on, everyone was hooked. 
And this actually, I didn't have, I don't have an ending narrative because at this point they didn't have ending narratives. Oh. I don't think that came till season two or something like that. Yeah. Oh. Or later in season one. Nice. Uh, so that is the Twilight Zone. Oh, I love it. Yes. Also, something. I'm hyped that it's on fucking Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. My next thing I'm Definitely watching. watch it if you haven't or it's great to, I always love when the, 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 you always played them on say, TV for the marathon. But yeah. If I was a, a real channel, yep. I used to do a July 4th and a New Year's Eve marathon. It was the fucking yeah. best. Yeah. So great. There's so many good episodes. There's oh. so many episodes I also haven't seen. I've probably seen very close to all yeah. the episodes. But only I because like, I literally would sit and watch five days of it. Yeah. Well, I feel like there's probably a bunch that I had seen, but it was once again just sort of when like on in the background. Because yeah. I would have it on a lot when there were the marathons were on when if I wasn't doing anything. But I just wouldn't really be paying attention to them. Well, so. usually the times where you're putting something on in the background are not the times where they're playing their best episodes. Because mm-hmm. the best episodes, they play at like 8, 9, and 10. Yeah. Those are probably the ones that I remember. Mm-hmm. They're like, we're waiting for you to wait for this. Yeah. So, so boom. Good. There we go. Rod Serling. So good. What a babe. He wears a suit like a boss. Yeah, he does. weird podcast people join us every week on the Flopcast for a half hour or so of silly conversation about comics, music Saturday morning cartoons old movies and TV shows and chickens it'll be our little secret find us at flopcast.net and on the ESO network Make it good. Fuck you! <laughs> okay. Jesus. Uh, I don't know. I just talk about the Twilight Zone. I mean, I'm not it's hard act to follow. I feel pretty secure okay. in my choice. Okay. Because I'm talking about fucking Scream. Oh. Yes, I That's am. a good one. Yes. Okay. So obviously I used Wikipedia and Fandom because I use them every fucking week. Blah, blah, blah. I also used a couple articles, and one of them was uh, Gaying Up the Biggest Horror Franchise of the 90s with Scream by Joe Lipset, and uh, Scream's Billy Loomis and the Horror of Male Power, Violence, and Sexuality. Did we talk about Scream last? Yeah. I think so. Because I think I talked about being scared of, like, the clowns, and then being like, I was seven and watching Scream, it's Mm -hmm. fine. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly okay. where that was. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, Sweet. of course, Scream has been on my list for a while. Uh, because I love it. I love it so fucking much. <laughs> oh, it's so good. So yeah, Scream is an American slasher film directed by Wes Craven and written by Kevin Williamson. Uh, it came out in 1996 and it has a pile of 90s stars in it. Uh, Scream Nev combines. Campbell. I know, Nev Campbell. With her 90s hair. Boy, everybody has fucking 90s hair, and it yeah. is rough. Ugh, it is rough. Except for fucking, like, skeet all your Oh my god, you wanna shit. hear? 
Yeah, a scream story before we get into this. Obviously. So, Martha knows, but in case you guys don't know, I'm obsessed with Christmas. And we have... (laughs) So, we decorate our house. I have no idea where this is going. And so, in our window growing up, we would have a Santa in the middle. And then we had two... um, The only dolls that don't freak me out where we had, like, a little girl and a little boy and, like, a cute little Christmas outfit and they had a candle. And they're, like, the really old movie ones that you hear are, like... <laughs> because they're moving. And um, <laughs> and I don't know when, but we named the boy Billy and the girl Tatum. And Billy broke, but we still have Tatum. And every year I would like brush her hair. And like <laughs> she doesn't really work anymore. We she doesn't she she like kinda moves, but then her mechanism because she's like probably older than I am. And her mechanisms are broken, so she like staggers back down. And I think we <laughs> had to like Tatum. like fucking like uh elastic band a fake candle to her, because I don't think it her candle works anymore but she still sort of works and we don't want to get rid of her and she's our but she's a little blonde Tatum and they were named from screen of course yeah oh my god oh Billy's long dead just I mean makes sense I mean Tatum's dead I was gonna say Tatum does (laughs) (laughs) but anyways that was that was my story (laughs) I thought I can't believe I've never told you that before I can't believe either I I love that I literally have a, a part in here where I talk about Tatum and I was like, that isn't the most fucking 90s name I ever. I love Tatum, but it might just be because we named that Christmas doll after That's her. That's probably it. She has the prettiest blonde hair that isn't so pretty anymore because it's really old, but I still <laughs> brush it with my wig brush every year to make it nice. You're such a nerd. So Scream... Scream combines black comedy and a whodunit mystery with the violence of slasher of the slasher genre to satirize the cliches of the horror movie genre, especially the slasher films of the 80s like Halloween, Friday the 13th, and Nightmare on Elm Street, which Wes Craven did do. And then he's like, LOL, now we're going to talk about it. Obviously, we're going to be spoiling this movie, but if you ever watched it, it's on you because it came out in 1996. So sure. I watched it when I was six. What's your excuse? <laughs> Maybe don't watch it when you're six. I did. Well, I mean, you know, if you have a six-year-old child, <laughs> that might be. See, well, it wasn't my parents. It was my sister. Exactly. So, yeah, the movie opens up with Drew Barrymore as Casey Becker. Oh, my God. I know, right? I can, like, remember that scene perfectly, but I think I forgot it was Drew Barrymore until you just said that. Yeah, so originally Drew Barrymore had actually been cast for Sydney, and then... So it, in at least like two or three of the places that I read things, it was like, oh, it was her decision to get killed off in the beginning. And then it was like, it's a scheduling thing. Whatever. Basically, the deal was you immediately knew that nobody was safe because they didn't have people who were like, oh, we're going to pay this person to just get killed off in the first literally 12 minutes. Yeah. She's in the first 12 minutes and that's fucking it. She answers the phone and some rando dude is flirting with her. And he asks her what's her favorite scary movie and talks about her boyfriend and starts to make darker and darker comments until he reveals that her boyfriend is actually tied up outside. 
He asks her some hard horror trivia and says if she gets it right, she and her boyfriend will live. But if not... This is why the internet is great now. Yes. You could just Google those It's answers. a different world these days. Siri could just tell me those Siri, answers. Siri, help! So she gets the first one right, and then when he asks who the killer is in Friday the 13th, she says Jason Voorhees and not Jason Voorhees' mom, which is who it is in the first movie. So, um, yeah, Jason doesn't start killing people until part two. It's kind of a trick question, but, like, also this person was obviously going to murder you either way, so it doesn't really matter. Just like when they say they're only here to steal your money, they're not here to steal your money. They're going to rape you and then murder you. Mm -hmm. Just don't trust anybody ever, (laughs) which actually is a point that Scream makes. (laughs) But, yeah, so in answering this wrong, uh, the killer reveals that she's killed her boyfriend, but he offers her a bonus question for herself. Um, so she's like, nope, fuck no, throws her phone down and then like goes to find her boyfriend out in the back and he has been disemboweled outside and then there's a chase through the house and she is stabbed and strangled by the killer. With the last ounce of strength that she has, she takes the killer's mask and sees his face and is surprised by this revelation. But you don't see who it is on screen. So, like I said, Drew Barrymore was considered for Sydney first. And, like, they decided that the holy shit, like, killing somebody who's a big fucking movie star moment was more worth it than having her throughout the entire thing. Which I completely agree, because that scene is still really Mm -hmm. genuinely fucking scary. Also, Drew Barrymore stayed crying through the entire thing because apparently she told um, Wes Craven about some, like, horrible animal thing like cruelty that happened the day before and he kept just reminding her every time she would stop crying. (laughs) And then (laughs) there's one scene where she hits the killer with the phone and she does actually hit Wes Craven in the face with this (laughs) giant fucking phone. (laughs) Well, yeah. So cut back to Sydney Prescott, who is played by Nev Campbell, uh, who is trying to deal with the anniversary of the death of her mother. The following night when she's home alone, Sydney is attacked, there is an intense struggle, and the killer disappears. And then good old high school boyfriend, Billy Loomis, comes to visit her through her fucking window, and he gets caught with a cell phone. And this is a big deal because it's 1996, and nobody had a fucking cell phone then. So she's like, hmm, it's kind of weird and suspect that I just got a call and then got chased around by a killer, and then all of a sudden you're here. And you have this phone in your pocket. Is it a phone in your pocket? Or are you very unhappy to see me, Billy Loomis? (laughs) He gets arrested by Dewey, the deputy who had just shown up at the right time. I know, Dewey. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So Sydney ends up staying with a friend, Tatum. And if that isn't a 90s name, uh, Tatum is also, which I completely forgot about. She's the sister of Dewey. So she's Dewey's younger sister. Oh, yeah, I completely forgot Yeah, that no, too. that was gone from Who's my brain. Who's played by Tatum? Uh, played Tatum? Rose McGowan. And she dyed her hair blonde so that she would I was going to say look... she was blonde, though, yeah. right? She dyed her hair blonde so that she would look different from Ned, so that nobody... But, like, she okay. did it before they asked her to do anything, and she was like, oh, God, I look like a fucking monster in that. I'm like, you shouldn't be blonde, baby. <laughs> You're right. That's a bad it's choice. True. Mm-hmm. While she is with Tatum, she gets another call there from the killer saying Billy is not the killer and that she'll soon find out who is. 
If you get a call from the killer saying it's not this person, it's probably that person. I think, I'm trying to remember if Billy was in jail or not at this point. I mean, I know there's two. (laughs) Spoilers! Um, There's some nonsense with Gail Weathers, a newswoman who is like super tabloid. Corny Exactly. She's like a mega fucking bitch and she's great, but she's also being a huge butt and making everything much more traumatizing for poor Sydney. She is a great character, though. Really fun. Scream is fun because it's weird to have a, a like horror movie franchise where the characters that stay throughout it are their survivors and not the killer. Yep. Usually that's just, yep. we have Jason and Jason and Jason and yep. Jason. Now we just have 30 people in a fucking ghost face mask, <laughs> which fair. So meanwhile, while this is going on, we have Stu and Randy. Uh, who are other people in their friend group. And they're in the local video store uh, where Randy works discussing the killer's identity. Who the fuck was Randy? Randy was Jamie Kennedy. Who is Jamie Kennedy? He was like a comedian for like half a minute, but like really annoying. I can't remember him at yeah. all. Um, he's the, like, he has a big part or a bigger part in two, but he dies. Uh, he doesn't die in this one because he's a virgin. For real. So he, uh, Stu and Randy are discussing um, the killer's identity with, and Randy is openly stating that Billy could be the killer, albeit his motive would be pretty stupid if it's just him wanting to kill his girlfriend. I mean, it's, that's, that's a classic. A very usual reason yeah. why murder happens. Yeah. Stu Ooh. disagrees and then Randy's like, everyone's a suspect. Because, of course, he's a big fucking nerd. Randy is the murderino here. So right after uh, Randy's like, everybody could be a suspect, Billy comes over and is like, "Uh, you could be a killer too because you have a lot of horror movie knowledge. And then later that night, so because of all the killings, they get out of school early because it's like, school's out for the summer. Because somebody fucking murdered someone. But that was the song they definitely played while they were all leaving school. Oh, of course. Sorry. I'm just, like, remembering everything. I'm coming there with you. I'm I'm following you there. School's out forever. Thank God school's out forever. I will never go back to school. Horrible. But, yeah. So, of course, school's out. Yay, everybody gets to be out of school, even though some people get murdered. Um, so because they are high schoolers and school is out, they have a fucking party. This is not the time for a party. But of course, sometimes teenagers are stupid and they have to die on their own. So early summer, nice. They get a party. Uh, the party is pretty par for the course for a bit. And then during one of the scenes, Randy, the horror movie nerd from earlier, is talking about the rules of horror movies, which are don't have sex, have sex, don't, don't video record things. I don't think that was. Oh, well, don't do it. But that's Don't true. be black. Sorry. Let's not be, I don't, not to be racist, but the black person always dies. Mm-hmm. It's because the people who make the movies are usually racist. Yep. yep. Um, don't separate. Mm-hmm. Don't separate. But, okay, so Randy's rules specifically are you can never have sex. Yep. You can never drink and do drugs. Like yeah, Because it's right. a sin factor. And never, ever, under any circumstance, say, I'll be right back. Because you'll never be back. Don't go pee somewhere. 
And I mean, that's, I feel like that falls under the I'll be back. <laughs> it's true. Mm-hmm. So shortly after this, uh, Tatum dies in the, the garage. In the in garage the little, door. Yeah, the so little she's dog trying door. To get away out of the garage and she goes through the dog door and then gets stuck in there. Except for the fun fact about that is Rose McGowan is far too small to get stuck in a dog door. It's true. And she kept falling out. So they literally had to nail her shirt to the dog door <laughs> so that she wouldn't fall out of the fucking That's thing. really funny. She was like, Scream taught me whenever I have to break into somewhere that I can just go, go through, through the, the dog, dog door. door. Uh, back at the party, Billy gets there and then he and Sydney head upstairs to That's book. Really Where are you going? Uh, which we just talked about these rules. Yeah, Come on, people. A bunch of people also leave the house because the principal dies and they go to see his body. Uh, I don't Why did the principal die? Did he get murdered? He got murdered too. Oh, okay. But it's one of those things where I'm like, I guess we did this for a reason, but I shrug. It's not important. So he's just like there and then all of a sudden he's dead and people have left the house because of it. Whatever. It's a horror movie. It's fine. Upstairs after having fucked for the first time. Sydney watches in horror as Billy is stabbed by the killer. Right. I right? remember that. Uh, she tries to escape through Corn the window. <laughs> Corn syrup. <laughs> syrup, you're right. <laughs> Who would be much grosser if it was cornmeal? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's true. You're right. <laughs> Just like a corn, corn muffin. <laughs> a corn muffin with some color. I got it. My kind of thing. Yeah. It sounds delicious. Like, it turns out all of my insides were made out of corn muffin, and I didn't know. But now I do. Here we are. Uh, but yeah, so Sydney Shit. tries to escape through the window and then is pushed out by the killer, um, but lands safely, but next to Tatum's body. So it's like, hi, would you like an army of therapists? Because I'm not sure they could take on your problems. It's fine. Um, there's some dumb red herring stuff with Sydney's dad, maybe being a killer for a minute or so. Gail and Dewey team up and stuff and have their own story. Who was the guy they thought did it and went to jail and then ended up getting murdered at the very beginning of Scream 2? Cotton something is, his name is Cotton something. I don't remember his last name, but basically he's a dude who was just fucking her mom, who like everybody was fucking her mom apparently. So who cares? And then got he was saber tooth. Yes, Leave Schreiber. <laughs> Don't hit me. I did it. I just thought about it really hard. You know, Sydney um, <laughs> basically lands on Tatum, and then after running back inside, Sydney finds Randy and Stu, who are presented as the only uh, remaining people there, and also. They're both accusing each other of being the killer, and she's like, oh, I don't know who to trust, so she just slams the door in both of their faces. After this, a seriously injured Billy then reappears, falling down the stairs. Sydney helps him up and gives him a gun for safety. Bad choice! Yep. Yeah, so he gets a gun for safety. Billy opens the door and allows Randy back inside, who states Stu has gone mad. And then Billy, still holding the gun, responds, we all go a little mad sometimes, and then shoots Randy, who falls to the floor. A shocked Sydney is then shown that Billy's blood wound was, in fact, Corn syrup! A common horror movie practice for blood. 
And uh, right after that, Sydney turns and finds mm. Stu, who unveils the voice-changing box. Uh, so finally, the truth is revealed. The murders were planned and carried out by both Billy and Stu as a means for getting revenge on Sydney's mother. Who is Stu? Stu is Matthew Lilliard. Yes. Yes. He's shaggy. Yes. That's it. Yeah. And who's the other one? Matt Lilliard and then uh, Billy Loomis, who is uh, Skeet Ulrich, who is hot shit. And I'm so attracted to him in fucking Riverdale. I know, because I remember he's seeing hot. him in Riverdale and being like, oh no, you grew up hot too. This yeah. is horrible. He's yeah. so hot. He's Super hot. Yeah. yeah so we've got- I mean, a lot of the older people in Riverdale are hot, but yeah, he's Jughead's dad. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And I knew that, but I like never connected the dots. No, it's it's fair. Yeah. So truth is revealed. Billy and Stu are getting revenge on Sydney's mother. So Billy informs Sydney that her mother had an affair with his father, uh, Hank Loomis, and that that was the reason that uh, Billy's parents' marriage went Billy up and why his mom ended up leaving his family. So, hey, try therapy. It's better than murder. Yes. He get, then goes to state that he was the one who actually murdered Sydney's mother and it wasn't Cotton Weary. That's his name. What a terrible name that for is a person. A real bad name. Um, Sydney saw somebody leaving after her mother died who looked like him. Mm-hmm. Except for it was probably Stu. Yeah. Yeah, because they've got similar body types. Yeah. So, we want we bad times. And then he was convicted based on Sydney's testimony. So he's been in jail for a while for no reason. Everything is the worst. It turns out that Billy's rage over his parents splitting because of the affair with Sydney's mother turned him into a murderer, which LOL. One of those silly little fucking bitch baby. So, and then, so they also reveal that they've kidnapped, uh, they've abducted Sydney's father and they used his cell phone to make all the calls to people about, like, killing them. And they're basically trying to frame him for the murder of all of them and for Sydney. And then they're going to make him, they're going to shoot him in in the head and make it look like a suicide. So then Stu and Billy each stab each other in non-vital places to make it look like they were the victims and try to get away with everything. But things fall apart because Billy stabs Stu a little too deeply and he begins to bleed a lot. And then Gail comes back and distracts them both so Sydney can kind of get away. Sydney ends up basically like dropping a fucking TV on Stu. Yeah, I remember that. Though, I, I remember him being, like, electrocuted, and yeah. it was back with those old TVs where the glass wouldn't break. No. It, like, his face would be pretty smushed, and he'd have a broken nose, and he'd be a little fucked up, but it wouldn't kill him. It's fine. You guys are <laughs> um, But yeah, and then Sydney stabs Billy with an umbrella, who then falls to the floor. And then... An umbrella? And apparently, so, the umbrella... Stabbing. Is it the penguin's umbrella? Uh, <laughs> question mark, question mark, question mark, question this, mark. The secret button and it's a knife pops out at that's the That's the best kind of every umbrella. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's the only umbrella I want, but... But yeah, no, she stabs him with an umbrella. I don't know. Uh, in the chest. It's after he's been stabbed already. So, probably so she's probably wound. going for that. Like I said, Stu gets killed by the television set. And then when Sydney is checking to see that Billy is dead, Randy reveals that he is injured but still alive, crediting it to the fact that he is a virgin. 
And then Billy gets back up and punches Randy back to the floor and begins to choke Sydney to death, trying to stab her as well before being shot down by Gail. Randy gets back up and Who's he's like, Gail? The reporter, Courtney yes. Cox. <laughs> I just remember Dewey's, Gail Weathers. Dewey's throat got slashed, yes. but he lived. Mm-hmm. I was very upset about that, but then yeah. he lived. It was fine. It all ended up being okay. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so Randy is back on his feet now, and he's warned Sydney and Gail, according to horror movie law, that Billy will come back to life for one last scare. And to their surprise, Billy opens his eyes and makes like a grunt, and then Sydney shoots him in the head. And finally kills him. So a wild goddamn ride from start to finish. Also, so many good fucking lines. It's so fucking funny. A lot of um, Matthew Lillard's lines as Stu were actually ad-libbed on the like the um, <laughs> the one line he has where he's like, "My mom and dad are gonna be so mad at me." Was just a line that he came up with on the on the spot, and they were like, "It's too stupid and funny. We're absolutely keeping this." <laughs> um, some other fun shit about Scream. There is a theory on um, Stu and Billy that they were queer together, which makes a decent amount of sense. All Stu does the entire fucking movie is defend Billy's stupid, bad decisions. So maybe it wasn't even that they were, well, they could be queer. Mm -hmm. This is my theory that Billy was not, but Stu was in love with Billy. At least that. I would say at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of like the way that they act that comes off a little bit like queer. Yeah. There's that one scene where they're both revealing that they're the killers and like they're on top of each other. It's ridiculous. Remember that scene. Billy's in front and Stu is literally like, like on his shoulders, like. It's like a, a second head. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't remember that scene at There's all. There's another scene. That's the funny. scene where they're talking about who could be the murderer in the uh, horror, in the movie um, store. Stu's like playing with Randy's earlobe. There's a lot that of weird, weird stuff where you're like, this is pretty gay. Yeah. Just saying. I don't remember any of that, mm-hmm. but I haven't seen the movie in a really long time. Yeah, but it doesn't and there's me. actually so um, there's a book called "Reading the Bromance: Homosocial Relationships in Film and Television," and there's a whole uh, chapter that's about Scream and the queer killers mm-hmm. from Scream. Um, I could also imagine that being part of that being ad libbed by Stu's actor too, being like, "I'm just gonna flick your ear, absolutely." Like, <laughs> While we're talking I'm about just gonna it, sit I'm gonna here and do this gonna, thing. I'm just gonna be a <laughs> and he's just like, "I'm just gonna go with it because we need to act this scene." <laughs> well, it's like just enough to make like regular straight people a little mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I love when when actors are like, mm, "I think I'm gonna play this a little gay." <laughs> Me always, ever, forever and ever. I think I'm going to read this a little gay. <laughs> so I'm going to play this one a little gay. So I'm going to add a little extra gay in there. Not enough that they can be like, don't do that. But <laughs> that is the more fun way to read things. There's also looking at the fact that Billy Loomis is a terrible, abusive dickhead. Well, he's a psychopath. Yes, he is. Basically, Billy's motivations are he's already killed the mother who he's blamed for this. This is a quote. And so at the end of the movie, Billy and Stu successfully murder five people and attempt to murder four others while simultaneously 
attempting to inflict as much psychological distress on Sydney as possible through phone calls, chases, faking Billy's murder, immediately following after the loss of her virginity, and attempting to literally murder several people in front of her, including her own father. All because one time her mother had sex with Billy's father and it broke up his family. A single act of female sexuality is used as the inciting incident for a series of murders. Looks like when a fucking real-life serial killer is like, my mom was a whore. I'm like, okay. I saw I murdered people. Cool. Or my mom didn't love me enough, so I murder people. <laughs> Here's another, like, basically follow-up quote. Uh, the entire plot of the film revolves around Billy's feelings about Sydney's mother having sex with his father. In a twisted way, sleeping with Sydney, turning her from a symbol of purity into another sexualized woman, makes her more like her mother, more like the thing he actually hates. By having sex with her, he not only gives himself further opportunities to derive pleasure from this entire twisted situation, but he turns Sydney into a surrogate, allowing him to murder her mother all over again. And he blames Sydney's mom, who instead is clearly a single lady, instead of mm-hmm. his dad, who is the married man. Yeah, in there this was situation. A, like also in so this he's article, also they address that a sexist pig. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be a twat. Um, since that's a shitty way to end things, <laughs> here are some other dumb fun facts about sh- uh, Scream. I almost said Shriek. Or were you thinking of like Saved by the Bell right now? That screech, but we're all in a bad place. <laughs> okay. The <laughs> the special effects artists used about 50 gallons of blood. Chris. I know. LOL. Fake blood, obviously. Corn syrup? Probably. Yes. <laughs> For a lot of it, absolutely fucking Cornmeal? Yes. Mm-hmm. Cornmeal. <laughs> um, you knew what I meant. At the end of the movie, Billy hits Stu in the, uh, with the phone in anger. And it was unintentional because they had so much fucking blood on their it hands. It just flew out of his hand. <laughs> and then when screw, Stu screams, you hit me with the phone, you dick. It was actually <laughs> Matthew Lillard's genuine reaction. <laughs> it's fair. Um, I already talked about Tatum falling out of the doggy door, so they had to nail her in, yep. which is really stupid. That's so fun. funny. Uh, during production, Ghostface's signature robe was supposed to be white to make him look more like an actual ghost. And then they were like, oh, we don't want any KKK Yes. So they immediately I feel like that would get dirty real quick, too. That was my thought. They would need a million of so those. So much bleach. Yeah. Because any scene, it would get dirty. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Just existing as, yes. like, white fabric is dirty. a crime. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so... Last, most important fact, which really has fucked up my brain and hopefully will fuck up yours too, the voice behind the killer is veteran voice actor Roger L. Jackson. So they had him off um, screen so he didn't actually like meet anybody and any time he was on the phone, he was literally on the phone. But he's also known for the role of Mojo Jojo <laughs> in the fucking Powerpuff Girls. Shit. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. That's, That's Ghostface. <laughs> now I'll never be able to take him seriously. Nope. I'm going to see him and I'm going to be like, Mojo Jojo! <laughs> like, how many dumb synonyms can I put in <laughs> one stupid sentence? Turns out it's 40. Yeah. But yeah. Ugh, fuck, I love Scream so much. God. 
I haven't watched that movie in a million years. Uh. <laughs> Shit. All right. Fuck. Okay. Well, there we go. That was good. Yeah. This that is was fun. Good. This is the best month. Yeah. So, everyone, thank you for listening. Yeah. Part two of our Spooktober. Spooktober. I'm glad we agreed on this beforehand instead of <laughs> me just saying something very quickly and hoping that it doesn't sound incredibly stupid. <laughs> so make sure you rate, review, subscribe on Apple iTunes. We're on Spotify. We're also on the ESO network and you can find us on Podbean. And always you can email us at but first let's talk nerdy at yahoo.com and follow us on Instagram at at the first let's talk nerdy and some cute shit on yeah there. yes remember cute check shit. out those stickers fight and cryptids yeah. or say let's you're know. fighting a cryptid i got then, you i will fight all of them yeah just you know fund me <laughs> <laughs> all right everyone we will continue part three next week and we will see you next tuesday has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.